Welcome to Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you're a busy woman struggling with hormonal issues like PCOS, fertility struggles, and other hormone imbalances, and you feel like you're the boss of your life in every area but your hormones, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Melissa Groves Azero, integrative women's health dietitian, coffee lover, cat lady, all black wearing, former New York City advertising exec turned professional period fairy. It's my mission to be the no BS hormone nutrition education resource for smart women struggling with hormone imbalances so you can have regular symptom-free periods and optimize your fertility naturally. I'm here to share real, actionable, science-based tips you can use to get real results without cutting out foods, spending hours in the gym or meal prepping, and without losing sleep, because we're all about balance here at The Hormone Dietitian, and I am so glad you're here. Let's get started. Are you struggling with infertility or going through fertility treatments? Are you confused about the conflicting fertility nutrition information you read online or even hear about from your doctors? This is a can't miss episode. This week, I'm talking to Elizabeth Liz Shaw about not only her own journey to becoming a mother, but also her expert tips as a fertility dietitian and researcher who has published books on this topic. Liz is a nationally known nutrition expert and owns a nutrition communications business and private practice in California. She's been a dietitian for over 10 years, an adjunct professor for over seven, and is also a certified personal trainer. She's a four-time book author with titles including The Instant Pot Cookbook for Dummies, Air Fryer Cookbook for Dummies, Fertility Foods Cookbook, and The Stress-Free IVF Nutrition Guide. A guest on local and national TV, she serves as a spokesperson for many different agencies discussing the importance of food and nutrition as key players in leading a healthy life through sound evidence-based nutrition. What Liz loves most about her current position is that she gets to connect with consumers and help dispel nutrition myths daily. You'll find Liz sharing regularly over on her popular Instagram feed at Shaw Simple Swaps and on Pinterest, Facebook, and LinkedIn. She believes all foods can fit in a balanced lifestyle and shares these tips via her blog, Shaw's Simple Swaps. Let's get started. Welcome, Liz. I am so excited you are here to talk with me today. We do not get to spend nearly enough time hanging in real life. Um, Can you tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. And I am so excited and honored to be on here, Melissa. So I am Liz Shaw. I run the website community called Shaw Simple Swaps. And under that, I kind of do a variety of different things. Um, My main title is in nutrition communications and work with different brands and do a lot of nutrition communication on the evidence-based science in the media. So you'll see me writing blogs, writing articles for different outlets. And one of my favorite things is is making recipes in my kitchen with my kitchen crew. So my journey with uh, blogging actually got started back in 2014 when my husband kind of gave me a little nudge to, to start putting some of the things I was doing out on the web. And then serendipitously, it just kind of unfolded. And, um, you know, a couple of years later, I started blogging about my infertility journey. And through that, I met wonderful people like you. And it really has just um, morphed into this kind of full maternal wellness. So I really, I would say I'm more in the, into women's health than, you know, male health, but it's kind of a, a website that you can go and get your, your evidence-based nutrition and recipes that are simple for everyone to make. Yeah. It's been really great to watch you go through that journey because I knew you, you know, before you were, um, a mom and you were still very much so in that struggling with infertility place and to see you transition and how you're still so authentic in, bringing, you know, easy wellness to folks who don't have a lot of time. Um, Like, I feel like that's been your brand all along. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, you know, and I, I hope that that's the message that people get. And maybe I should just pay you right now for being my business coach and finally figuring <laughs> out my brand after all these years. But, you know, and, and that's the thing, like something like I, I don't don't start with fertility anymore. Although I did have a website in the past that was specifically fertility devoted. Now it's underneath my, my entire wellness umbrella, but I will say that it's, it's so important because no matter what you're faced with in life, I realize there are so many easy digestible wellness tips that you can incorporate that people, that people need to see, you know, because we see so many conflicting messages out there that we just need to break it down to like the most simplest thing that you can start doing today. I love it. And I've actually made several of the recipes on your website. I will say I'm terrible. I never follow directions and I really should like read the whole recipe all the way through before attempting it. Cause what's, I think you just reposted it. It's the almond bars with the like chocolate swirl through it. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I didn't read the directions. And so I just kind of threw it all in together and it all came out like, you know, a mud brown, but it was still delicious. (laughs) (laughs) Now I will say not every, not every recipe always takes, but I do have a team of recipe testers. So I like to make sure that overall, if you read the recipe from start to finish, you should be able to get the, a similar photo uh, or similar end result of what the photos I share. (laughs) Yes. Do as I say, not as I do. I'm, I'm terrible uh, at following recipes. Um, I also, I just really wanted to mention that, you know, Liz is one of the kindest, most generous dietitians out there. Um, She's been working in this fertility nutrition space, you know, back when I first started my business. Um, and when you were starting to ramp down your client work in preparation for your maternity leave, you sent me several clients my way and you introduced me to Kendra Tolbert and Lauren Maniker when we used to collaborate on our Fertility Friday posts. Remember that? You got that Yes, started. I just got goosebumps because you said two of my other favorite dietitians in the same, in the same sentence. And it's just, you know, this is community. It, it is a community and I appreciate your kind words, but it's, it's seriously like good people know good people. I feel like, and you needed to know those good people. And I feel like it just made us all, you know, better practitioners. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I still collab with the the three of you regularly. So I, I so appreciate that. And you know this, I've told you this jokingly, but I, I often remind myself to be a Liz and not um, <laughs> insert name I'm not going to mention on air. <laughs> um, but I, I just wanted wanted you to know, you know, how much I appreciate you and the impact that you've made on my business and my life as well. So, you know, so before we both start crying, <laughs> I know I'm like, you sitting here tearing up like, Melissa, you are like this flower that's bloomed so much and it, to just hear you say that I had a small impact on that. It means so much to me. So I'm giving you a a giant virtual hug right now. No, same right back at you. Much, much, much love for you. So when I first started following you, you were still struggling with your own fertility journey um, as you were so generously sharing nutrition information with your audience. And you were really openly sharing what you were going through with, you know, in your personal life with your audience as well. Um, I know your story and I know you've written about it publicly, but can you share some of your journey to motherhood with the audience? Absolutely. And I think part of the reason I was so public about it was because I felt like there was a, such a, a ta- like it was infertility, infertility was considered t- so taboo. And thankfully over the last five years, I've seen so many more just experts and, you know, people speaking about their own journeys that has been really eye-opening to see and actually somewhat rewarding. Like everyone's journey, I fully support what feels right to you, but really what felt right to me was, was sharing the process and how, you know, I, I was, I thought I was the picture perfect version of health. I ran, I did marathons, I ate my fruits and veggies. And lo and behold, when my husband and I started to try and have kids and expand our family, we couldn't. And it turned into this kind of roller coaster of tests and being shuffled to this doctor, going and getting MRIs to see if I had an adenoma on my pituitary gland. And it's like, you know, one thing after another. And it was this spiral that I was just like, give me an answer. And so at the, probably at one of the lowest or 
the point I was searching Dr. Dr. Google, doing all the things I would recommend a client never do, I realized, hey, wait, use what's in your toolbox. You are a dietitian. You do know food is a form of medicine. What could I be doing that I'm not doing right now? You know, and that pivotal part of my journey is really what led me to to meet Sarah Haas and a collaborator that I worked with on um, the Fertility Foods Cookbook and really just this community, you know, and opening up about, hey, we didn't learn about this in school. There's a lot of science coming out about it, but there's not a lot of people talking about this. So those other people that are turning to Dr. Google and seeing these detox teas or pineapple core and all this other, you know, bogus out there, what can we provide them that's actually evidence-based science? And that's really what, what led me to share kind of my journey with it, but with a science twist, because I will say at the end of the day, like I have never been for the most part on my, um, my specific fertility account, like you know, citing journal articles in the text. It was really my, my personal journey with a twist of nutrition, you know? Yeah, I love that. And, you know, that was a great book. Is it still available anywhere? You know, and, and this is, every everyone has their own, uh, their beef, I feel like, with their publishers. I will say it is available from what I've, the latest I've heard with um, online via Amazon. Um, it, it has been a role coaster and I I'm okay with saying that publicly but it um I, I I hope that it it does come to fruition it needs to be updated because this book was written in 2015 you know and science evolves and there's things that I would include now like for instance we talked a lot about plant-based protein in there which is so great but I would also like like to include some stuff about you know other than just like the turkeys and the chickens when it comes to lean meat because as you lean meat products you and I know that like we can't include lean beef you know in a fertility healing diet. So I think that, um, there's so many wonderful resources out there. And as much as I love that cookbook, I think, you know, even if you don't have PCOS, I don't have PCOS and I have your meal plan cookbook and I use that, you know, and I think that there's, there's evolving resources out there right now that are, um, more current. I will say it that way. I don't want to like bash my book, but I just, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to get a hold of a, a tangible copy right now. Yeah, no, that's why I wanted to check it because I was I was going to try to see if I could find the link to share with with folks. So yeah, so so what you were talking about kind of brings up what I've I've spoken about with a few guests so far, which is the whole idea that the foods that support your fertility are the same foods that support your overall health and well-being. There's not like a distinct category of, you know, things that are good for your fertility, but they're bad for your heart or something like that, you know? Yes. I love that you said that too, because even when it comes to the topic of like processed foods and someone will say, oh, if, if you want to eat for heart health, you can't eat processed foods or, oh, you're trying to get pregnant. You shouldn't eat processed foods. And I, I take a step back and I'm like, Hey, Process means prepared. So, you know, when you're picking up that salad kit that's actually helping you get vegetables in that day, like that salad kit is actually considered a processed food, but I'm not going to ding that food because you're actually getting produce in that day, you know? So I think when we step back, we really have to look at the language that we're using with our followers, our consumers, our clients right now, because there's so much misinformation out there. And to make someone feel guilty about something that's you know, we're telling them to do eat more fruits and vegetables for a fertility feeling diet, for a heart health diet, for a diabetic diet, you know, that how we're portraying these messages to consumers. Yeah. The food that always comes to mind when people are bashing processed foods is canned beans. You know, it's like, they're so good for you and so health supportive and nobody's going to be cooking chickpeas from scratch. Like it's just not going to happen, you know? Absolutely. It's so funny because I, I wrote the Instapot cookbook and I like used to do my big batch cooking of the black beans and the chickpeas. And then I had two kids and I was like, ah, no, not coming. Where are my canned beans? <laughs> yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about it a little more later, but you know, the dairy-free foods too. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm allergic to casein. I can't put milk in my coffee. I'm sorry, but I just don't have the time or the energy to milk my almonds from scratch, you know? Yep. No, no need to milk those almonds, ladies and gentlemen. There's folks, you know, there's no, there's no, na- wait, no need to do that in an optimal fertility fueling diet. And I think that that's what brings us, you know, when I, when I say us, I'm referring to you, Lauren, you know, Kendra, and, you know, these, these other health professionals that really are portraying the, the evidence-based science is that 
you don't have to be fancy to have a fertility fueling diet. You don't have to have thousands of dollars to throw at your grocery budget. You just have to be open-minded and allow yourself a little bit of time to make that healthy happen. Yeah. So what are some of the principles of a fertility supporting diet? Yes. And so kind of like you said, like, when we go back to basics, like you need to be eating fruits and vegetables. Now there's a lot of data out there that depending on how you cherry pick it, it could say choose organic, you know, depending on your specific condition with infertility or fertility or what stage of the process of, you know, conceiving a child you're in. And for instance, there's some research that shows with IVF, consuming organic produce has a little bit of a higher odds of conception. Now, at the end of the day, am I going to tell one of my clients not to eat the conventional apple and instead get the organic apple chips at the market? No, I want them to eat that whole apple, regardless of it. I want them to wash that apple, you know, under clean running running water. But I think that that's like the basics. Like we want you to eat more plants, fruits, vegetables, canned beans, legumes, pulses. We want you to eat whole grains. Now, this could mean gluten-free whole grains like quinoa. It could mean eating whole, 100% whole wheat. Like there's so much variety in those basic, I'm, I'm putting air quotes, Mediterranean diet foods that really build your fertility fueling diet. And then of course, healthy fats. So avocados are a great source of healthy fats because they have the folate in them that we know is very important for when you do get pregnant. We know that other healthy fats like extra virgin olive oil, nuts, seeds are all really conducive to conception and really, again, total health, heart health. You know, the decades of research that show nuts are good for heart health. Um, The thing that we we look at, I think that has gotten a lot of uh, mixed messaging over the years is the protein category. And at the end of the day, yes, you should be eating seafood twice a week, preferably some of the lower mercury choices, you know, but you should be eating that food. You should be incorporating, if it's part of your, your lifestyle, meats. And now this could be a lean chicken, a lean red meat, you know, like a flank steak. This could mean incorporating some pulses, you know, whatever source of protein tofu fits your lifestyle. And I say lifestyle just in case someone is vegan or vegetarian and still trying to conceive. So there's really no lifestyle diet that's conducive for, for, you know, fertility. It's more the, the total picture of your diet, because as we know, there's no superfood for fertility. Yeah, absolutely. And I love how you're, you're saying I would rather have you eat a conventional broccoli than to worry about not being able to afford organic broccoli. And I think, you know, particularly with, with some things like avocados, like I'm never going to spend the extra dollar on an organic avocado because you don't eat the skin. Um, you know, they have, you know, tested to be the, the lowest in pesticides of almost any fruit and vegetable out there. So, you know, it's really about kind of picking and choosing. And I don't think that, you know, choosing the best diet that you can afford and that fits your lifestyle, you know, is really something that needs to be said in a negative way. Like you have to do this or it's your fault. You're not getting pregnant, you know? And I think so many times people blame themselves. So they pick that one thing like, oh, I spent the last three years buying conventional strawberries. No, like that is not, that is not the the game changer for you, you know? And so I think that that's an important message because we look for those quick answers to put fault on, but no, I mean, it's, it's about eating more produce. There's a really cool tool on safefruitsandveggies.com that actually lets you insert the specific produce, pick your gender, pick your age, and it will help calculate the actual amount of servings per day you would have to eat of a specific produce in order to be concerned for pesticide levels too. So, you know me, I'm an equal opportunity eater. I want you to buy what you can afford. But as we know, if someone's going through fertility treatments, it's, it's a pretty penny. So, you know, if you're looking to cut costs in different areas, there's always ways that you can, you can eat healthfully and a balanced and budget-friendly diet. Yes, absolutely. So important for everyone. And especially if you're shelling out thousands upon thousands for fertility treatment. Um, that's a good segue into, you know, sort of the next question I get asked a lot. And, and I actually was asked 
by my audience about this episode. Do nutrition and lifestyle recommendations change once you are in that fertility treatment process? Like once you start IUI or IVF, are there specific recommendations? You know, are there specific recommendations by phase, like whether you're pre-egg retrieval or post-retrieval or pre-transfer or post-transfer? So when it comes to IVF, of course, there's there's so many different things that you will see online recommended even by different healthcare providers, as we know. The most important thing to remember is your unique individual nutrition needs. For instance, if you're going through IVF, and obviously they do a gamut of different testing, and you find out that you have celiac disease and that's causing inflammation, you obviously need to exclude gluten from your diet. Now, I say exclude gluten because we know that there are other gluten-free whole grains that you actually should be including in your diet. So don't give up gluten, just find those that are the gluten-free ones. So I say this because I think people see something in the media, hear something from a friend who's gone through IVF and they're like, oh, that's what worked for them. That's what's going to work for me too. And they go crazy with their diet, especially, you know, pre-retrieval because they're trying to do everything to make, you know, as many, as many eggs as possible, you know, or especially during, I mean, I say, especially during this time, but really every time is so, um, it's just so emotional. It, it, it's an emotional process, obviously. And so I was actually talking to a friend last night and she is going in for her HCG, her first HCG test today. And she's like, you know, what should I be doing right now? I was like, hon, like you've done everything <laughs> that you can, like, you know, and obviously we've, we've worked together for three years. And I said, you have done everything you can do. Like this is out of your hands. You are continuing to do the right things. I said, did you take a bath tonight? Like that's literally what I would recommend as my nutrition prescription for you, like <laughs> going in tomorrow, like you need to, to de-stress. And so when I say like nutrition for the different stages, like I cover this in depth, like, you know, during this stage, you should all in the, in the online blog post too, you know, eat high antioxidant fruits and vegetables, but really because if you're going in for your retrieval, they're going to give you some pain medication. It's probably going to make you constipated. So eat those black beans, you know, go, go for the high fiber foods so that you don't get constipated after, you know, um, there's so much variety. If you're going in, there's also something called ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, you know, ovarian <laughs> OHSS. Why do I always say this wrong? And so you, you do need to focus on electrolytes. You do need to focus on the sodium that you're having to, to prevent basically your ovaries from filling with fluid and causing, you know, it can actually lead to very serious health conditions. So I think it's very important. You work with obviously a healthcare provider, whether it's a nutritionist at your office, you know, that you're seeing or, you know, working with Melissa or another, another colleague that you find out what works best for you and you're on the right program for you because there's nothing worse than going through it and feeling like you're, you're consulting Dr. Google, that you're turning to these resources that really have no validity in them. Yeah. You bring up, you know, the pressure that you're under. And I think it's not just the pressure of becoming pregnant and is this going to work or is this not? Am I going to be a mother or never going to be a mother? Um, but there's so much money on the line with each round of treatment that it's like, you know, I, I definitely have worked with people for whom this is their only shot. You know, this is, this is the only round that they're able to afford. And so there's, so, so much pressure for it to work. Oh yeah. I just got goosebumps. And if I cry, it's because I, <laughs> this is just like, it, it is, it's so much pressure. I remember when we were going in through, we, so we went, when we went through IVF, we had 15 eggs retrieved of which two only made it to the blastocyst stage to put, I always say put in the freezer, put to, you know, Cairo chi preserve. And so when we actually got the first one to go through our first frozen embryo transfer, I remember feeling so much pressure, like, oh my gosh, like this is on me. Like my body has to be at its prime. And I did, I, you know, I did air quote, do everything I was supposed to do. I didn't drink coffee. I didn't drink alcohol. Like I did. I just tried to be this like picture perfect human being. And lo and behold, it didn't take, you know, and then I, I had to take a mental health break. I took a mental health break for six months before we did our last FET. And it did that too didn't take. And I remember just feeling so much emotion after that, that like, you know, here, 
here I am. Like, this was our shot. This is what I thought was going to work. I did all the things. And yet at the end of the day, like it didn't happen for us in that capacity. And I say that with, to, to your audience, because, you know, this is a registered dietitian, as someone who specialized in this, is in this arena. And it's still like, as much as doing the right thing can do, you have to focus on that self-care aspect, that, that mental health. And I honestly think that during that time, I was so wrapped up in, in doing everything right from a nutrition standpoint to sharing my own journey that like, I forgot to take care of me, you know? And honestly, we know cortisol, we know these stress hormones affect our fertility so much. Like what if I hadn't tried to redo my kitchen in the middle of IVF because I thought I needed a project to keep my mind busy, you know, would I have been less stressed? Like, you know, all of, all of these things that, that really come into the bigger picture. Yeah. I mean, you know, just the act of striving for perfection takes such a toll on our mental health. And, and I think, you know, there really is an aspect of having to let go of that idea of perfection. And even the idea that, you know, I'm controlling the things that I can control, but like, you got to let go of some stuff, you know, and not freak out if, something doesn't go according to plan. And exactly. And I think most people, once they, you go into your IVF appointments, you know, and you get this, this binder or however your facility gives it to you. And it's like this entire map roadmap to your future baby, you know, and you're like, yeah, this, this is my plan. Let's go. It's game time. And then it, it deviates and it doesn't go like that plan. It's this entire body shock and mental health shock that you go through. I, I can't speak for everyone that, you know, I find many people go through. Yeah, I actually want to talk about the fact that that fertility clinics sometimes will make nutrition recommendations despite not having an RD on staff. I think, you know, more recently, some of the fertility clinics have realized the importance of bringing an RD on staff to counsel patients around a fertility supporting diet. But I feel like I've heard some really extreme stuff from fertility clinics that got recommended to patients of mine, like, um, you know, OHSS, which you were talking about before is ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. Um, and there's a higher risk in PCOS because people with PCOS have a higher number of follicles. So, you know, by stimulating the ovaries to make more, there's a really high risk that that's going to happen. And as you had mentioned, things like having electrolytes and taking in more protein to help your body flush the excess fluid out can be helpful. But I had a fertility clinic tell one of my PCOS patients to drink six Gatorades a day for two weeks. Like if you do the math on that, that's 200, over 200 grams of sugar a day <laughs> for PCOS with insulin yeah. resistance. And my, my brain just like exploded. Um, had another clinic one time tell one of my patients to eat a 40% protein diet prior to the retrieval um, and like made her track her intake. And, you know, I've always eaten pretty balanced and, you know, my cookbook is, is just founded on that balanced approach where you're balancing protein, fat, and fiber. But, you know, I wasn't really sure what percentage of my food came down to protein. So I actually, I did an experiment and I tracked it for a couple of days to see, you know, where do, where do I land and how hard is it to hit that 40% protein? It's near impossible. Like I would say I probably net out around 25% protein most days, but the only way I could hit 40 was by adding like three scoops of protein powder to my smoothie. It was like, like I was increasing the processed food to meet that target. And like, I just, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, it's, it's uh, that, that the, the Gatorade thing, you had me at my jaw drop right there because that's, that's just crazy talk right there. Um, you know, yes, you should be eating electrolytes, but I, I always give this simple again, I'm, I'm going to talk about simple wellness. Like a client came to me and she's like, what should I eat during my like post retrieval? Like I'm, I'm kind of feeling a little like queasy. I just like don't have a lot of energy. Everyone's different. You know how they feel after I said, honestly, 
Do you like avocado toast? Make yourself some avocado toast, throw some everything bagel seasoning on top and a little extra sea salt. There you go. And I mean, a little extra iodized salt, you know, there you go. That's as simple as it can be. Like you don't have to go through and go to the store. As long as you have, you know, like salt in your kitchen cabinet, you can add a little salt to your broccoli because you should be eating some, you know, cruciferous vegetables. You should be eating more fiber. Like you don't have to go through these crazy expensive electrolyte drinks, you know, whether it's Gatorade or whether it's something else, you know, smoothies. And as far as protein or like the keto diet, I know I've heard, I've seen that too floating around. Like there's really no longitudinal evidence. Obviously like research is still evolving when it comes to especially assisted reproductive technology, but there's nothing out there right now that says like, this is the way to go. Like these, um, the American society for reproductive medicine doesn't even make a blanket statement about that. So I would say like, use caution. If someone with the registered dietitian nutritionist credentials are not giving you information. And I say experience in women's health RD credentials, because I think we, you and I both know that people will, will say things out there, um, even with the RDN credential that maybe are not backed by research. And at the end of the day, like I actually, I remember this one client, it was probably two years ago. It was her third or fourth round of IVF. And so she was going in and she texted me. She's like, Liz, my husband and I really want to go get fish tacos and a margarita tonight. And I have my retrieval tomorrow. Do you think that's a bad idea? I said, honey, is it helping you de-stress? She's like, yeah. And I was like, I have no problem with you going and enjoying that moment with your husband. You know, they got pregnant. They got pregnant, you know, and I'm not saying this happens every time, but I think she needed that mental health break. She needed that time alone to remember, hey, they too are a family unit, you know? And I think one of the big things I've always talked about is that my husband and I, even before kids, we were a family. We were talking about expanding our family unit. And so there's so much other things involved in the IVF process that you have to remember whether you're going through this alone and you know, you're working on expanding yourself family unit with a future being, or you have a partner in the picture, like, you know, what is going to make this life lasting, you know, long lasting for you, because you can't just change your health style for the five day period post-op. You need to make sure it's something that's sustainable long-term. Yeah, absolutely. And continuing, you know, Definitely heard stories on some of the fertility Facebook groups and things like that about, you know, kind of once you've moved into that, that realm of IVF, in some ways it takes the pressure off of the relationship because that scheduled sex aspect is no longer part of, you know, what you're Mm -hmm. going through. It's like, oh no, someone else is handling that part. Like now we can just, you know, be a couple for fun, not as a job, but you know, it's a lot of strain on a relationship to go through infertility or subfertility. And, and, um, I totally agree that, you know, one margarita with your husband at dinner is a very different situation from, you know, going out and binge drinking one weekend for a, you know, bachelorette party or something like that. Totally, totally. And that's what the bigger picture that I like to remind people, like, yes, we really should be limiting our caffeine consumption during the preconception period, whether you're going through IVF, whether you're just, you know, starting that window, trying to conceive, you should be, you know, watching your lifestyle. Like you should not be smoking, you know, you should be not doing illicit drugs. You know, some of the things that I I laugh like a little bit jokingly saying, but like, I forget people do need these reminders. Like, you know, if you're trying to invite a baby to come into your body to like, to, to give it this life, then like, think about what kind of home you want to create in your body, you know? And that's, that's kind of like the analogy I give a lot of my clients is that, you know, anything that you would not basically do if that baby was here in your arms, like you would probably want to continue that. You want to start that now during this preconception period. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I've definitely had this conversation with, you know, a lot of women, and I do think it is a central issue to women where, you know, we're we're willing to put ourselves last um, for almost everybody else in the world. You know, our needs come last. And so when you start to think about you know, you're, you're no longer eating just for you. Everything that you're doing to your body is no longer just for you. Suddenly, you know, that's the impetus to change and to stop those harmful things that we're doing to ourselves. It it actually, you know, I think that that's a really important thing and that can go in multiple factors. Like 
I know you and I have both worked with, with clients that have HA, you know, and that are undernourished and don't realize the impact of, you know, not nourishing their body is doing to their body is doing to their, their future chances of getting pregnant, that there's so many different areas, you know, that women really do have to consider on this journey. Oh my goodness. If I could go back to my 24 year old self, the one thing I would tell myself is to take calcium supplements. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You don't yes. realize the damage that the long-term damage that you're doing on your health by continually restricting in your younger years. Hey there. So before we get back to the rest of the episode, I just wanted to pop in real quick and tell you about a new workshop I've put together called PCOS Meal Prep Made Easy. If you're like most folks I hear from, you're confused and overwhelmed by all the conflicting info out there about what to actually eat with PCOS. And you may feel like you don't even know where to start. In this hour-long workshop, I break down what foods you want to include for PCOS and what you might want to consider avoiding or minimizing. And I share my simple three-step formula for planning meals with PCOS. The best part is it does not involve spending hours in the kitchen. Yes, you can absolutely incorporate this formula while cooking at home, but what's really great is that you can apply it no matter where you are, in a restaurant, getting takeout, at a family meal, or even while traveling. Head over to thehormonedietitian.com forward slash easy PCOS, all one word, to sign up now. Signing up is your first step to finally understanding how to eat to manage PCOS. All right, cool. I'll see you there. Let's get back to the episode. Can we talk about the BMI topic again? Because I think that this is something that resonates both strongly with you and I, but specifically with people that are malnourished trying to conceive, you know, and going into these these doctor's appointments, and you might be, and I'm putting air quotes here, in the normal BMI range. So you might be at the lower end. Maybe you're 18.5. You know, you're right around 19. The doctor looks at you as like, oh, she's just a slender female. She's trying, she's getting her period. She's just, you know, going to take her off birth control. We're going to start IVF and she's going to have a baby in two months, you know? And no, that's not how it works because there are so many other factors involved if her nutrition is not adequate, although her BMI might be in a normal range that really is not considered nor, you know, even the entire spectrum of eating disorders or HA inside a reproductive medicine clinic is never discussed. And I I think that that's, that's been proven in research. We know that, you know, they don't ask the appropriate questions when it comes to eating disorder or disordered eating behavior. Yeah, I've actually seen too, and I know you fully agree that BMI is bullshit. Um, but I've I've also seen it happen where someone has, you know, what what qualifies as a normal BMI, but if you actually look at their body composition, um, their percent body fat is so low that it's not supporting fertility. And this happens a lot with you know, someone who's athletic or very active. You see this in like the body competition kind of arena and anyone who does sort of, you know, sports or races or things like that. Um, Can you talk about that a little bit too and how that's connected? Absolutely. So I think, you know, when we look at, I don't want to say stereotypical, but with this individual that struggles with maintaining appropriate appropriate levels of body fat, they obviously are not usually menstruating on a regular cycle on their own. They might be on a pill, a bandit, as I call it, to make sure that they're getting this, you know, monthly bleed, but they're actually not producing the hormones that would generate this cycle naturally. And so when that happens, that puts you at risk, like we said, for osteopenia, osteoporosis, all of these other conditions that you're not thinking about when you're just hitting the track, you know, and you're trying to compete and you're trying to maintain maybe this slender physique. I mean, trust me, I can say this as someone with experience in this and knows as someone as a recovered anorexic, like I know what that pressure feels like from the mental health side of it, from everything. But at the end of the day, if you don't have enough body fat stores on your body, you're never going to get that rainbow, that, that baby that you want at the end of that picture, unless you start nourishing yourself, you start eating the fat because as someone who's had, you know, two failed FETs and went through the IVF spent $42,000 on the entire process at the end to be, you know, sitting here, 
without at, at that time, you know, without my miracle babies in hand, it was a very trying process. But I realized at the end for myself and what I'm able to communicate to clients now is that my body maybe didn't have an, I, no, not maybe my body did not have enough body fat. It took me going through those cycles. It took me, you know, injecting myself with progesterone and these different IVF and IUI medications to start generating the body fat that I needed and recognizing, hey, even as a nutrition professional, even as someone who does this, I needed more body fat in order for this to happen, you know? And that's really what actually, it's taken a long time in my obviously professional career to realize this, that not that BMI is bullshit. I knew that long ago, but just how important that this message needs to be conveyed to consumers and to, to clients, to people walking into these offices, looking for everything that they need to revisit that, that individual health aspect and what their true body fat levels are, because whether it's on one end of the spectrum or the, the other, it's, it's always a conversation that, that can be, um, you know, small steps that you can do at home to help, you know, make this a better conversation with your practitioner. Yeah. I think, you know, what you're talking about really is that coming out of that recovery from an eating disorder, or maybe still one foot in orthorexia and not, you know, having that fear of, uh, first of all, eating fat and that fear of getting fat, um, you know, the fear of gaining weight, um, and it really puts a damper on fertility because you may not be, your body may not be as ready or as fertile as you think it might be. And there's that whole like healthism where, you know, you're doing all the right things and you're eating all the fruits and vegetables, but you know, it's, that's not the thing that's going to get you pregnant. Exactly. And that's the thing. And it's, it's one of those things for me personally. I mean, and I see this in so many in so many individuals out there, and I think that that's why I'm, I'm comfortable sharing this part of my journey. That it's you know I I didn't classify myself as someone who was still struggling with an eating disorder when I walked into that you know fertility clinic, but did I still have this idea in my mind that I had to be a certain size to be a you know to be X Y and Z to do this? And it was like maybe I did, but the rec- the second I recognized that that was actually inhibiting what I wanted for my life, what I wanted to be a mom that I realized that was no longer important to me. And so I think it, it's all about, obviously it's a cycle, it evolves, you know, and how your understanding of everything. But if, if you're in that stage, like you really need to evaluate if, you're, if your end goal, if your end, you know, end of this journey, you want to have that baby in your arms, like you have to let go of so many other things that really are just superficial. Yeah, I talk a lot with my students and my clients about, finding that reason why, that that compelling reason why they're willing to make nutrition and lifestyle changes. And, you know, I really do find that for those who are actively trying to conceive, like usually that motivation is strong enough that they're, you know, they're willing to do anything to, to get that baby and to get that family. Um, you know, that kind of can, can fall off when, immediate fertility is not the goal, you know, like I think that sort of fear-based messaging around, well, if you don't eat right, you're going to get diabetes. And if you don't eat right, you're going to get heart disease. It's like fear is only motivating for so long, you know? Exactly. I I couldn't agree with that more. Yeah. I want to go back and talk a little bit about keto for fertility because Again, many fertility clinics are recommending this, that we all know there's a fertility clinic that recommends an extreme version of keto and promotes the idea that fruits and vegetables are inflammatory. Um, As a fertility researcher, um, what's the deal with that? That... That is just bullshit. That is just bullshit. I mean, honestly, I mean... Thank God there's no censor on podcast because I like what what I just you know I'm picturing someone here eating a, a bacon breaded say like there's no bread the bacon is the bread there's the egg like you know like again I love eggs I love bacon but I'm never gonna like just eat that without hiding like tomato or avocado or something you know what I mean like I just uh no that that is that is false that is false information even at 2017 I so I I, I got into this the other day because I was like looking at your questions and I was like the 27 2017 
systematic review in nutrients. There's not enough data for that. There's not enough data to support one calling out vegetables as inflammatory, but yet alone recommending a ketogenic diet for fertility, you know, overall as a blanket statement. As you and I both know, individuals are unique. Individuals are so different. So what works for you might not work for me, you know, and that's what we have to remember at the end of the day that you have to, I'm not saying eat ketogenic. I'm not saying don't eat vegetables because they're inflammatory. I'm, I'm saying, remember at the end of the day, your needs are unique and make sure that you're finding help to suit your particular needs because you're worth it. And it needs to be addressed like your individual needs. You do not need to listen to uh, one, find a new doctor if they're telling you that. And two, you really just, you got to find it what works for you. And I, I guarantee it's not eliminating inflammatory, air quote, inflammatory fruits and vegetables. <gasps> yeah. You know, I, I really worry about the long-term implications of a diet like that. You know, maybe not on, on you because you're doing it short term with the goal of getting pregnant, but the goal isn't to get pregnant. You know, the goal is to have a healthy pregnancy and take home a healthy baby who's going to be healthy and thriving for their lifetime. And the epigenetic changes that are happening in the deficiency of nutrients. And, you know, like this is one of the first things we learn about prenatal nutrition in school is, especially during that first trimester, baby doesn't need any extra calories baby needs micronutrients and you're not getting those on an extremely restrictive diet that is a hundred percent free of fruits and vegetables. Well, well said, you know, I, I just, I, I cringe when I hear things like that. And then maybe this is why that I just, you know, have a, a love hate relationship with, with what I see on social media, because it's like, you know, you see that the health influencers promoting that because I remember, I think I might've seen it even in your story, someone share, or you shared it from someone that was like, this is like the kind of misinformation not to, not to tap on, not to, not to, you know, insert in your feed because it's, it is, it is just detrimental, like you said, long-term. And that's one of the, the biggest things I think I've always stressed in, whether it's my writing, my books, my messaging out there is that you have to look at this long-term. It has to be a health style change because you want to produce this baby, you want to bring home this baby, but you want to be there and you want to be healthy for that baby. And creating lasting lifelong changes is what's going to be the best thing for your health, for, for your fertility, and for your future baby. On the other side of the BMI discussion, you know, I know you and I have both worked with clients who've fallen into this category where um, some clinics have BMI limits. Like they won't even do diagnostic testing on you until you can get your BMI below a certain number, whatever their clinic number is. You know, I had a, a client once who was in that situation, couldn't even get testing from her uh, fertility testing to rule out things like structural abnormalities and things like that. Um, and I was like, well, we'll just start working on nutrition and lifestyle with the goal of, you know, gradually getting you there. And, you know, just from the nutrition and lifestyle changes, she got pregnant naturally and she got to call that fertility clinic and be like, I don't need you anymore. And her BMI was nowhere near, you know, their target goal. What are some of the options that people who find themselves in this situation might have? Absolutely. And I was so proud when I saw you share that story too, that testimonial, because I think that's the true testament to working with a qualified healthcare professional. So $42,000 thrown into IVF and working with a fertility clinic or working with, I'm, I'm not saying again, this, I put this in perspective because sometimes people see the cost of working with a healthcare professional, like a dietitian, and think I can't afford that on top of everything else. But on the flip side, Maybe if you afford that, you wouldn't have to pay the bigger ticket price of the IVF treatment, you know? So I say that because if you're working with a qualified professional that knows that BMI is not a number that we should take with much merit, then you can absolutely work with someone that can help identify what, what's going to get you there to be at a weight conducive for conception, you know? And I do say weight in that aspect because obviously part of it is in implementing health style factors that are going to help with weight loss at that point. But it's not just weight. Weight is not the end result. You know, as you said, she probably wasn't at even the optimal BMI for their particular clinic, whatever that number was. I also say like, if they're not in a rural area that has other centers, like, and I get it. Sometimes like you do not have, that is your one center in town that you, you can go to or insurance reasons, whatever it is. But 
do your homework too. There's, we know that there's fertility IQ out there. There's go Stork. There's all these other resources online now that's really evaluating from patient perspectives, what the, the demeanor is of that particular physician or that particular office. So I think obviously if you're investing this much time, this much money, this much um, emotional emotions into this journey, then really doing your due diligence will help. At the end of the day, you know, obviously I'm a big fan of simple swaps that you can incorporate into your daily routine. So say for instance, you're going through the drive-thru every day and we know that, you know, that's leading to excessive processed food consumption. We do know literature supports that increased fast food consumption is a lower rates of conception or, you know, live births. I'll put it that way. You know, what can we help you do to make that swap instead of going and getting that cheeseburger and French fries to packing a, you know, veggie loaded hummus sandwich with a bag of, you know, maybe it's baked chips because we're trying to make the small adjustable chains that's less life lasting. You know, I can't tell someone it's like, I always think of my parents. Like if I told them not to eat French fries, they would be like, I'm not eating carrots instead. Like what, what is my next best thing? You know, and, and slowly trans, you know, transforming them into to choosing some healthier options along, uh, options along the way. So um, sorry if that was jumbled and everything, but bottom line, there are things that you can do that don't just focus on, on weight. You know, you can make these healthier swaps that at the end of the day will help with the weight reduction, but it's not the prime focus, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I remember working with a client who was a social worker. And so she was in her car driving, you know, from site to site uh, during her day. And the only option um, in the the neighborhood she was in was fast food. And so when we had first started working together, we went from, you know, eating chicken nuggets and fries to she realizing, oh, I could get chicken nuggets and a side salad or chicken nuggets and berries. And then it was, you know, probably less than a week after she started doing that, that she realized it would be so much cheaper if I packed the berries myself at home. (laughs) And so it was just sort of this like natural progression to you know, someone who swore she would never pack a lunch to, oh, this is cheaper and easier and I'm going to do this. Yes. Oh, I love that because that's truly what it is. And that's, I think that's the, that's, that's my mission is just for people to realize the small, simple things they can do. They don't have to make a juice. They don't have to make a smoothie. They don't have to do these crazy things that maybe might not seem crazy to us, but might be really challenging or really hard for them to wrap their brain around. The smallest thing, like you said, packing berries, putting raisins, whatever it is, is going to be a, a big benefit for their health. Yeah, there's lots of things you can do. And if you if you can put a little cooler in your car, like even more stuff you can carry around for a work day. Totally, totally, totally. You know, I'm a big fan of making your own uh, little, little adult lunch boxes, things like that, that are filled with healthy food items, but are fun too, you know? Because eating should be fun. At the end of the day, we've got to be, we've got to have some fun with it too. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of, um, how old are your littles again? Yeah, I have a, th- today is her half birthday. She let me know oh. this morning. I have a, I have a three and a half year old and I have uh, uh, almost one year old. He'll be one in two weeks. Awesome. So exciting. I, I love his hair. His hair makes <laughs> me laugh every, every time. It's just I love you. You just posted that video of him um, walking um, and saying your daughter's name, and it was just the sweetest. I had a big smile watching that yesterday. Tell me about some of the ways that that you incorporate those principles into being a working mom of two who is always busy. You know, does everyone in the crew kind of eat the same, or are you doing different meals for everybody? Yeah, I will say no. You will never find me being a short order cook. There's there's one rule in my house is that you eat what's provided. I'll give you sometimes two options. So for instance, if we're having something that I know my toddler, she used to eat it. My son will eat anything. Anything I put in front of him, he thinks is the greatest thing in the world, which I love that baby stage because they're so excited about new tastes and new flavors. Whereas they do, most toddlers get into this, I put air quote, picky eating phase. And I will say she's We've been knock on wood lucky to avoid that for the most part, but there are certain things that like, for instance, when I make this um, coconut curry lately, she's been like, I'm not eating that. So if I take out the chickpeas, if I take out 
that carrots and put it in individual containers on her plate and don't tell her it's a curry, she'll eat it. You know, so it's all about the creativity and how I present the food to my family. Um, but nine times out of 10, we're all eating the same thing, just presented in, in different ways, um, with the exception of my husband. And I, I'm going to say this because I, I, I highly doubt he, I don't think he's ever actually listened to a podcast in his life. He's still uh, not on social media. Love him to death. Maybe that's why we get along so well, because we live two different worlds as far as our, our businesses go. But um, Mr. CEO actually does not typically eat with us. Um, he he is undiagnosed, but I have diagnosed him with a potential EOE. <laughs> so oh. I actually, I actually worry about him eating more than I worry about my kids choking. So, um, he tends to eat a little bit later than us. Um, he'll usually work out, he'll help me get the kids bathed and everything. And then he works out and eats after everyone else is already kind of in bed or winding down for the night. So he's there with us. But, um, I say this because people think it's like this picture perfect. Like when they think, people are talking about family dinners and like everyone's eating together and laughing. Like, no, usually my, my little one is throwing food in his mouth and throwing it on the floor. My toddler is crying because her chickpea touched her carrot and I didn't put him farther enough, you know, but the meal is served in a very, very, um, you know, casual way. And I know that at the end of the day, I've served them nutritious foods. I know that they're getting the nutrition that they need. And actually most recipes are from my fertility foods cookbook, you know, like I haven't changed anything, which I think is the most important message. If anyone takes anything away from what I've said to you today is that what you implement during your fertility period time will stay with you throughout your entire life and make raising two tiny humans or however, you know, many that you're blessed with as well, you know, manageable because it, it, it doesn't. And this is one thing that's been very, I've spoken about it on a, a couple of different podcasts uh, is the transition to speaking about what it's like to have, you know, my rainbow babies here and, the the outlook I have that it's, it's challenging, but it, in a new way, challenging, you know, like I will never compare what I went through during those, you know, four and a half years to get my babies. But at the same time, I will never discredit the moms that share how, how challenging it is with babies. You know what I mean? It's just two different challenges, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean, I've definitely talked about this with close friends of mine too. There's the feeling you know, you went through so much to have these babies that how dare you feel, you know, annoyed or exhausted or frustrated when the reality is, you know, it's not easy. Yes. Yes. No, exactly. And I think, you know, that, 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 that's a topic for maybe a whole nother podcast too, but it's, it's just letting people know that like, it's okay to feel your feelings, whatever stage of the journey you're on. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and I know <laughs> you're a proponent of this too, and the way that you ultimately announced your pregnancy on social media was just so conscious of the feelings that others would feel when seeing it and, you know, being understanding, like, listen, you know, it's, if you have to hit mute on me, if you have to unfollow me, I totally understand. And just being conscious that others are still you know, going through the struggle. I think that's it that, you know, I might've, I put air quote graduated from being an infertility journey or whatever, whatever the term is right there, but I will always be a part of that community. And that's, I think that's why I have such, I mean, there's not literally, I can't tell you a day that hasn't gone by in the last seven years that I haven't messaged with someone daily about where they are on their own journey, you know, whether they're they're currently in IUI or currently in IVF. Or like I said today, I'm waiting to get a text back if, if how our HCG was, you know, that when once you're a member of this community, it's like a family. And I, I say that because I have a great family, but they've they haven't gone through infertility. And like I connected with family, with with this infertility family that is walking this journey with me, that walk that journey with me. And that once you're a part of it, like you're there for them no matter what. Yeah, I always ask when I'm working with a client who's who's struggling with fertility um, if they have a support system in place, you know, and that may not be the family you were born into. It's very likely not, but there are very welcoming places and people who understand what you're going through. And I know you mentioned a couple of things earlier. You mentioned Fertility IQ and was it Ghost Orc? Is that the other one? Yes, Ghost Orc is a great... Um... I, I haven't, I, I checked it. I know it's still online right now, but it's, um, yeah, those are two I would definitely recommend checking out as far as, you know, 
evaluating clinics, evaluating physicians. If you're looking for more support and resources, I, I don't know if you've shared Pregnatish in the past, but that is a, a budding community that has a bunch of virtual events, in-person events. Um, Andrea is great, the owner of that group, and just such an advocate for the, the fertility community at large. Yeah, and Resolve or some yeah, of the yeah. um, regional chapters like Resolve New England is a big one up here. Uh, Miscarriage Hope Desk is another yes. good resource in this area. Um, yeah, there's there's support to be had out there and you you don't have to feel alone. And I think that's so important to remember because it can feel very isolating while you're going through it. Absolutely. And there's actually a lot of grants available too. So I have a, I'll, I'll send you a link on that too. Cause I know obviously that the cost is just so astronomical. Um, thankfully more companies are starting to, to earmark funds for covering costs for employers, but that's still evolving constantly. So when you can definitely look for those, those uh, grants available, because it, it maybe it's just helping take care of medication. And we know that those can cost 10 to $15,000, you know, so definitely be mindful of those as well. Yeah. And it really, really depends where you live too. Some states have mandated fertility coverage. Mm-hmm. Some don't. Um, until recently, uh, New Hampshire, my state did not have mandated coverage of that. So that condition. So, you know, it really, really depends on where you are. Um, but the advocate, you know, people are continually advocating for more access to care. Before we wrap up, I did want to mention uh, the wonderful guide you were talking about earlier, which is called the Stress-Free IVF Nutrition Guide. Um, And I do often recommend it to my patients who are going through IVF because it's, you know, it's it's a very simple read. It's got great actionable tips in it. Um, and Liz has generously offered my listeners 50% off the resource. And it's not that expensive to begin with. So um, for just you know a few dollars, you can get this wonderful guide. And the code for that is hormonally yours 50 for 50% off the stress-free IVF nutrition guide. And I will link to that in the show notes so you can just click straight through to Liz's website. You know, and now I just want to ask something I ask of of everybody at this point, which is what's one thing that you would want people struggling with fertility to take away from this episode? I, I love that you end with that too, because I think that that's something I, you, you probably heard me say this like a broken record, but never lose hope, you know, never mm-hmm. lose hope for whatever your goal is. You know, this journey is a marathon and it's not a sprint. So lean on those who can support you for the long haul because you're going to need that long support. Like there's obviously the, the you three ladies that I've connected with since, you know, first sharing my own journey on here. But there's another woman that I connected with actually via Pinterest, reading a blog about hers and her infertility journey. And we have literally spoken every single day since 2017. And I had my last FET failure, you know, and it's one of those things that, like you said, it might not be your, your born into family. It might be this new family that you never actually met in person, but are there for you hundred percent. So in the, in a world where social media can see daunting, there's experiences like this that really um, remind me how, how supportive women truly are of other women. Sometimes. <laughs> oh, uh, you know what? Yes. Yes. Oh gosh. You know, Hey, Let's let's glasses out full. It's a Friday. <laughs> no, no, I, I know, I know what you're saying. I've definitely, you know, made some lasting connections through social media that I never would have made otherwise. So, you know, this introvert is grateful for the opportunity to connect with folks I might not come across um, in my day to day life. Yeah, and you know, I say that too because I, obviously, I. I I go in and out of social, as you know, um, just with, with life as it is right now. But I will say that, you know, even if you don't feel comfortable sharing your journey publicly, you know, in a platform, I think some of those, even like side conversations that you have just, you know, someone sharing something about a loss or, you know, how this just really impacted them and just, you know, you reminding them by sharing like, Hey, I remember what it was like to feel like there was no heartbeat. You know, I didn't actually even get a positive pregnancy test, but I had seen that blastocyst. That was my embryo baby, you know, and reminding them, Hey, 
that is a loss and it's okay to mourn that, you know, is such an important, just even small conversation you can have in a message that really means a lot to people. So I, and I'm not saying you, I'm saying in general that people like, if, if you're looking for support, I just want to say it's out there, you know, and that's, that's what you can find. If you need support, I'm here. (laughs) You know, I'm here. (laughs) Yeah. That's one of the greatest things about my course too, the PCOS root cause roadmap. Cause what I do, um, I know it's different from how some other course creators do it, but I just let them in the Facebook group and then they, they stay there forever. So it's not cohorts. It's kind of like, you know, the old school folks who went through it a couple of years ago. Um, but oftentimes it's, it's the only time they've ever really even interacted with someone else who has PCOS. And, you know, when there is a loss in the, in the community or, or treatment doesn't work, you know, they have this, this group of 600 supportive women who know exactly what they're going through, you know? Yep. Oh gosh. I love that so much. That that's exactly what people need. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Liz, for coming and sharing not only your personal journey, but also, you know, your, your expert nutrition tips in this area with us. Thank you to everyone for listening and we'll see you next week. Thank you, Melissa. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could open up the podcast app you're probably using to listen to this episode right now and leave a quick rating or review. Your reviews help this podcast get seen by more women who could benefit from the information I share here. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, stay balanced. Stay balanced.